Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking to David Haas. David was the bass player for what I consider to be maybe the best shoegazer band ever, Catherine Wheel. Now, you guys may remember them. They were doing really well on alternative radio throughout the 90s. Their first album, Ferment, is in my top 30 or 40 favorite albums of all time. It featured this song right here, Black Metallic. You may remember this song. They had other hits. Judy Staring at the Sun, Heel, uh, The Nude, some great, great tunes in the Catherine Wheel catalog. They put out five or six albums. Uh, David was there for all of them except the last album. Their last album was called Wishville, and it sort of it was them going out with a whimper, to be completely honest. David is not on that album, but he's on all the other ones. And unfortunately, you learn in here that they're... The relationship is more of like a business relationship than it is like brotherhood, you know, or a band of brothers or buddies or anything like that. It's unfortunate. The band just kind of eventually came apart. The front man was Rob Dickinson, who is a distant relative of, uh, or a cousin of Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. So we talk about that and you'll find out there's actually kind of a funny uh, theme going on here of very prominent producers coming to Catherine Wheel wanting to work with them because they like what they hear. So we talk about Tim Freese Green in here. You guys may remember I love him because he worked with Talk Talk. Gil Norton, even Bob Ezrin makes an appearance in here. It is just, it's incredible how many big names were descending on Catherine Wheel wanting to work with them. Well, these days, David is about as normal a guy as there is. He's got a normal job. He lives outside of Cleveland. He's an American citizen now. Um, just a normal, regular guy. Near the end of this conversation, it's really fun because he is a big music guy. Collects vinyl, resells vinyl, all that kind of stuff. So we get into like what are some of his favorite albums of all time are, what some of his fun and funny, interesting stories around reselling albums are. Anyway, this is a really fun conversation. And if you are new to Catherine Wheel, I hope you hear a ton of music in this episode that you love starting right here with Black Metallic, a stone-cold classic, okay? David called me from his home outside of Cleveland. Okay, well, for starters, I um, I usually kick these things off with how I discovered the band, and I remember <laughs> I remember very specifically, uh, and this is the case for a few of these bands. So in the early 90s, uh, I grew up Mormon, and I went on one of those Mormon missions. You know, the missionaries out there with the black name tags and the white shirts and ties, and they're on right. their bikes and all that kind of stuff. So, and I went to Michigan. All my friends went to really exotic foreign places and I went to Michigan. And now when you're on your mission, you're not, for those two years, you're not allowed to listen to secular music. But um, every now and then I would kind of purposely wander into a record store just to sort of feel like a normal person again. You know, it was really, me being a big music guy, it was really difficult for me to go two years without music. So I go in and um, I'm just kind of browsing through the racks and what's playing on the loudspeaker is Ferment. And I'm just, it was one of the greatest things I had ever heard and still is, but it was especially delicious at that time because I wasn't allowed to listen to music. And so I was hearing this thing and I'm like, this is amazing. I'm going to have to remember who this is so that when I get home and I can, then I'm going to have to go buy this album, which is what I did. So Very that cool. was my introduction to Catherine Wheel, believe it or not. Was yeah. that, that in Detroit or? 
No, I didn't even go to Detroit. I think I was in uh, Grand Rapids or Kalamazoo, something okay. like that. So right. you living in Ohio, you're not that far from these places. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it right. was just late one night in a record store, and uh, I got turned on to Catherine Wheel, and I, it changed everything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know how many of your, of your stories start that way, but that was mine. So I want to ask you specifically, I've read a lot of these articles that are, you know, posts or whatever that you've done. Uh, you responded to a to an ad that was it you or the ad that was saying we want somebody who's really into the House of Love, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Stone Roses, and My Bloody right. Valentine. Right, and and Ride, I think they said. Oh, Ride too. Tell yeah. me what you loved about these bands. So I, I was a big music lover from you know from growing up in in the seventies in England with the you know, like the glam stuff. And then I got into punk and, and all that. And yeah, it was like, like 1989. I, I was playing, you know, in local bands and the band I was in, I, you know, wasn't doing anything and just happened to walk into this record store and um, saw this advert. And I, I was, I loved Ride and, and House of Love. I would go and see them and uh, and Stone Roses as well. Saw them in a in the little art center, and so I, yeah, I was just big, big into music and especially the alternative indie scene. Saw that advert, and I thought, well, this is what I'm into. So I called the number on the on the advert, and it was Rob. He said, oh, let me, you know, we chit chatted and set up a, a, a get together and met Brian and Neil, and they gave me this four track demo tape they'd done for me to to learn the songs and which I did and went back maybe a week or so later then Rob called me you know probably I don't know two or three weeks later say you know are you interested and I, I think I think I was there's only two people that responded to the ad so <laughs> it wasn't like you know <laughs> they for my for my talents but right. I think it was just lack of people <laughs> right and uh, so yeah and that that's that yeah that's how how we okay. start did you, was there a, a an immediate chemistry or was it more like you were the right man at the right time for that job? Because I think I read, in one of the things I read, I think maybe you mentioned that by the end of your tenure in the band, you got you wouldn't even have really considered you guys friends, more almost like business associates. When I met the three of them in the, you know, for the rehearsals and R Rob and Brian had been in band together for a long, long time. So they were good friends and I think they knew Neil, um, maybe from school or or whatever. So, like the three of them were always I I kind of always felt like uh, like the outsider, I guess. Mm. But uh, but yeah, as as years went on, it it it, it is being in a band is like being married to three or four people at the same time. <laughs> and uh, we spent so much time together in tour buses and recording studios that when we weren't touring or recorded then we just went our own separate ways and it's not like we would call somebody and say hey you know for a drink tonight or whatever it was like okay was like, see you in four months right. <laughs> um and and i mean i wasn't uh, in the band at the very end mm -hmm. um but i understand it didn't actually end up that amicable so sure. uh yeah it's okay. yeah was like a 10-year marriage i guess yeah, yeah. i uh, i saw Catherine wheel once in concert but it was near the end it was on the wishville tour and it was in a small club in salt lake city 
And mm -hmm. um, so you wouldn't have been there, but it was right. a great show. And I was really, you know, growing up in Salt Lake, we didn't, a lot of bands didn't come through that part of town. So I was so glad that you guys came through, even though you weren't there, but. I, I love playing at um, DV8. Yes, that's where this was, DV8. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, we played there. I mean, we played there, it must have been like three or four times, I'm thinking. Huh. I must years. not have gone to any of those earlier shows. Right. I saw one near the end. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Um, now, did you, what were some of the first fruits on that first album? Again, I just think Ferment is perfect start to finish. What are some, what were the first fruits of like, this is, this feels good. I mean, did you, do you remember like a co-writing session or a jam session that turned into a song? So, so just to go back to the, um, when I responded to the, the ads and they gave me this demo tape of, uh, four songs, but that. That demo tape ended up being the She's My Friend EP. Yeah. Brian had all these songs, which most of them ended up on Ferment. So, I mean, they, they were the key songwriters throughout the whole Catherine um, mm -hmm. tent. I, I can never take credit for, uh, you know, writing Ferment. That that was all Robin Brian. Okay. Um, we would rehearse on a on a Sunday afternoon in in this guy's garage garage. Mm -hmm. I've been I've been in the states twenty years. I still I still. <laughs> I yeah, so we would rehearse on a Sunday afternoon. You know, all these songs, She's My Friend, Black Metallic, Shallow. We 
getting the record contract, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm, I'm skipping a little bit here, but sure. uh, just, just as regards to, to Ferment. Um, so we had all these songs um, kind of ready to go. And uh, Tim Freeze Green, who had approached us to record, to produce the album, he he spent like a week in our little beach town in England and in a in a bed and breakfast and he would come to rehearsals and and so by the time he went in to record in the studio the song the songs were pretty much written and ready to go. I think the only one we wrote in the studio um, was um, second time around because mm. I, I I guess. Tim or whoever said, "Oh, we you need another song," and that that's the only one that I remember. Rob coming okay. down to his bedroom with a said, "Hey, you know, yeah. let's try this." So okay, um, yeah. You guys were from Great Yarmouth, correct? Well, I two well two from Great Yarmouth, and me and Rob were from a place called Lowestoft, which is maybe eight miles to the south. Okay. So, we're, we're all within like a 10 mile radius of each other. Okay. I used to live in Cambridge briefly right after I graduated from high school. We moved there yes, in 1991. I was born. What's that? I was born in Cambridge. Were you really? Yes. No way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, and one day um, there was a family that we that lived nearby that we were really close to, the Houston's, And we all had, so me and my siblings were similar in age to their siblings and we all went one day to Great Yarmouth and if I remember right it was a summer it was like a BBC one radio summer thing on this on the mm -hmm. beach and if I remember right Ben Elton was there okay. and uh, this would have been 1991 I think uh, I want to say Heavy D and the boys were there anyway I don't that's my that's my whole experience yeah. with Great Yarmouth yeah it's Great Yarmouth well as you as you know it's like the seaside yeah you town you got the uh the the fair there and um yeah it's it's, a, it's kind of a big touristy get a, like a weekend getaway for the brits yeah 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 i see that um now tell me how involved if at all bruce dickinson was in any of this because isn't is bruce is rob's uncle is that right they're cousins cousins that's right okay and Bruce, obviously, um, being lead singer of Iron Maiden, he's a big deal. Was he in the picture at all? Our, man our management was um, Sanctuary. And, you know, Sanctuary Records is all part of Iron Maiden. So mm -hmm. we were kind of under the like the Iron Maiden umbrella, I guess. But there was no, you know, financial backing or musical tutoring or whatever. Okay. But, uh, it, uh, it was just... I mean, I mean, you know, Rob being Bruce's cousin, and I'm sure obviously that helped in getting a, a management deal with Sanctuary Records. I mean, Br Bruce wasn't our manager, but he, you know, that was his company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it was just funny that, uh, you know, we, Iron Maiden and Catherine Wheel were obviously miles apart musically, and, um, you know, we wanted to be this indie cred band. Mm hmm. And uh, when we were playing London, I remember uh, Bruce would come down to to see us, and we think, oh my God, Bruce! You know, and the, the music journalists are going to be there, and they're going to say, oh, Bruce Dickinson's at the gig, and it's really uncool. But um, and he would come down, and it's like this bright orange jacket. He wasn't even <laughs> he wasn't even trying to be indiscreet. <laughs> uh, but you just see him at the back of the 
gig and but but he he was he was great you know for his for you know moral support um and it's, it's such a nice guy yeah uh, good okay so yeah yeah i mean for from uh, moral support is is really what what he gave us okay um now tell me about working with tim free screen because i'm a massive talk talk fan in fact i've tried to get him on this podcast and he turned me down he says he doesn't like to talk about the past but yeah tim, yeah i can i can see that really yeah. <laughs> so what uh how did you two find each other and were there aspirations within the band or maybe just within rob do you think to go not that talk talk and Catherine wheel sound anything alike but to go on the kind of artistic journey that talk talk did do you think that rob was looking to tim free screen to sort of direct him in a similar fashion um well well let me answer the how we got together um first yeah so we released uh the she's my friend ep and T tim was massive music fan he would buy yeah. you know all kinds of weird stuff that probably nobody else had ever heard of or, or would want to hear uh -huh. and um and on the basis of buying she's my friend he approached um management company and want you know wanted to produce us so the the other three in the band rob brian and neil they're they were huge talk talk fans um i personally wasn't but uh mm. at that time um so tim you know tim was having a producer like that maybe meant more to the other three than me mm. okay but, but tim's a musical genius and he was the right producer for for for, for men anybody else it, mm. it been a completely different sounding album i'm, I'm sure um, but tim tim was great and we worked with him again for um adam and eve adam and eve right yeah. and uh and but it's funny and i i remember this so for just skipping to to wishville so i, I was actually involved in the rehearsals for wishville okay and i remember saying we were just sitting around and because um, we had changed record labels and it was it wasn't a particularly you know great period and I guess we were all becoming kind of a little jaded and, and I remember saying to, to to the guys I said I I'll be becoming taught taught this is what we're yeah. <laughs> and and because I there's a couple of songs on Wishville which I think are very very taught talkish yeah. And I don't know whether that was like the straw that uh, broke mm. the back, and uh, maybe it didn't sit well. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I remember making that comment because I thought we were kind of heading towards that. that really? Way. Huh. So, I haven't yeah. listened to Wishville in a long time. I got it when it first came I, out. and I've never heard the finished product. Oh, you know? really? Huh. <laughs> Interesting. You know, yeah. I. Uh, it's funny you mentioned this about sounding like Talk Talk. One of the... I wouldn't say there's other than other than a sort of ethereal beauty, I think, to a lot of what Tim does, his work. The only thing that I can really pinpoint where it's like, oh, that's totally talk talk are the drums on Future Boy. My big-eyed bud in the movie 
The right. song Future Boy on Adam and uh, Adam and Eve, uh, the drums on there sound just like the drum sound on, you know, Spirit of Eden or Laughing Stock or one of those latter day talk to right. albums. Sure. Yeah. yeah I, yep. I mean, and th and those albums were playing constantly on on the tour bus. Really? Oh, yeah. They. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I over the years I I came to appreciate Talk Talk a lot more than when the band started. Yeah. And, Did you ever yeah. meet them? I mean, we just lost Mark Hollis recently. Hey. Did you ever know them or meet them? No, no. Uh, okay. No, it was teams. But, but just to, to go back to his producing skills, like the, the guy would just, I mean, I, I remember there was, Tim, Tim always said, there's, there's no bad note, only a bad choice. Mm. So uh, I, we, I remember we debated that, Brian was, we were recording Black Metallic and Brian, you know, playing the solo and he played one note that was slightly off. Mm. And I remember we sat there for about an hour discussing whether to keep it or not because Tim liked that yeah. little oddity in, in the song. Yeah. And I think in the end we decided we we didn't use it. But huh. um, Oh, that sounds yeah, good. Yeah, Tim and Tim and Gil Norton, who we used for mm -hmm. other albums, completely opposite styles. If you had this real like catchy chorus or whatever, Tim would say, "Well, let, how can we make it less catchy?" <laughs> <laughs> and oh, that, that that's was, great. It was, I mean, Tim is very, very, very cool. Yeah. Um, so what what's it like then? You had mentioned being in other bands, and you joined this one. And you start seeing success. I mean, Catherine Wheel never took over the world, but I do remember, you know, I've heard a lot of these songs on alternative radio and stuff like that. What is it like for you when this dream starts to become a reality? Do you, you know, the morning you wake up and you're like, wow, I, I'm a professional musician. That's what I do all day. How does that feel? <laughs> you know? Yeah, there were, there were times, you know, you, you, you would pinch yourself, but it was, it was like a, it was like stepping stones when of what we achieved, and I I remember you know just having that first um, EP come out on the um, small little uh, independent label in in Norwich. I mean that that was to me you know that was we could have finished right there and then I'd be yeah, happy. And, right. And, and then you release that, and then journalists come and see you, and you get. Uh, reviews in the enemies and melody makers and um, sounds and all, all these music papers that I would read every week, you know, cover to cover. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you see your your band's 
name in it and get in record of the week at, in the NME. And yeah. and then uh, and then the lights of John Peel. I don't know if you're familiar with John. I am. Peel. Yeah, that's that. Uh, that's a you know, huge stamp of approval. Right, and I remember we we got told he was going to play our single, and he was on late at night in them days. And I remember sitting in bed with my little radio, waiting for him to play our song. And he, he and, and in typical John Peel fashion, he played the B side upside really? down, <laughs> which was yeah. I mean, just the man was just a genius. That's great. And, do you yeah. remember, um, and I often ask people this, and I always, they don't always have very, uh, like, mind-boggling stories, but do you remember what you did to celebrate when you first started feeling successful? Was it, did you go buy a new car? Did you go out to eat? Did you buy a fancy bottle of wine? Did you... Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know that we ever had that moment. Never quite that flush? I do remember, uh, so uh, we released I Want to Touch You. Top 40 would be played on Radio 1 on a Sunday, late, late, well, early evening, I guess. And I was driving down to London because we had a meeting on the Monday or something. And it uh, listened to the Top 40 and number, th uh, it's a new entry, number 35 is Captain Wheel, I Want to Touch You. And, you know, days before cell phones mm -hmm. or anything, I'm think and I'm just driving there on my own. <laughs> and the best. We're in the Top 40. And I've got nobody to call, or. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, no, and and well, you say, did we go out? Did I go out buy a new car? I mean, Catherine Will definitely wasn't a, a money spinner, mm -hmm. um, so. Okay. Uh, no, we we kind of just we. I think we all viewed Catherine Will as, you know, just a job, and yeah, kind of just took it in our strides. So. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So Chrome, um, almost as good in my mind as uh, Ferment. So uh, Crank was Crank the first single off that album.
Yeah. Okay. So Crank comes along, and you don't work with Tim again, although he may show up on there. But I think this is the one where you've gone to Gil Norton. Correct. Right. Were you? Th did you go to Gil because you were big Pixies fans? What made you decide to go to Gil? Well, again, he he approached us. Oh, he uh, did. Yeah. Boy, people uh, loved you. I. <laughs> well, and just just to go back to Ferment, um, we had a meeting with. Um, Jamie Stewart, he wanted to produce oh. this. He was the bass player with the cult. Mm -hmm. And I guess he, he just left the cult and was looking to get into production. And, and I love the cult. Yeah, I do too. So, <laughs> so I thought, oh, this would be cool. And I'm, I wonder what, what Ferment would have sounded like if we had gone with him. But and, but, um, but yeah, Gil, Gil approached us again. And um, yeah, we love the Pixies. So, I mean, I don't know if it was a conscience decision. I think we just mm -hmm. wanted to to do something differently from ferment we, ne we never wanted to make ferment part two or yeah so i think we, we saw working with deal as just a, a different okay to and 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 our sound was was changing anyway we i, I always thought cat and well live was always different too was was always harder rockier than yeah on on vinyl um, yeah well, and that comes to fruition in Happy Days, which I'm going to ask you about here in a minute. But um, my, I think my favorite song on Chrome is The Nude. I don't know right. what that means. What? What? Uh, do you remember the creation of that song? Ooh, I, Who's I, the dude that broke his heart? I, I, yeah, you'd have to ask Rob that. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I know on the on the video, it's it's just him. So we we we, we weren't needed, I guess. Um, I don't remember <laughs> that song specifically. Um, again, Chrome came about through constantly touring. Ferment, and then obviously, and then you, you you're writing new songs as you go. I enjoyed working with Dill a lot. He was very much, you know, the the don't bore us, get to the chorus, yeah, type of guy, which I I which I kind of like. Yeah, and, uh, and we recorded it at um, Britannia Row, which is mm -hmm. my my favorite band is Joy Division, and they they had recorded closer there. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I'm reading Peter Hook's book Substance on New Order right now, and Britannia Row comes up a lot in right. the book. And I'm, re uh, I'm reading that one as well. <laughs> are you really? Yes. <laughs> it's huge. It's 700 and something pages. I, I'm like halfway it, through. It, it's on. It's on my dining table over here. <laughs> That's so funny. 
Yeah, I saw Peter came through here a couple of years ago and I saw him in concert and bought it at the merch table, signed. And uh, it's such a giant ordeal of a book that I finally thought, okay, I've got a couple of months to carve out and tackle this book. So it's funny that you, I in studying up on you, Britannia Row comes up all the time and right. here I am reading about it too. And you've right. been very open about what your favorite albums are. So I'm going to ask you about that at the end because I, I love a lot of the ones that you pick. Um, somewhere, and I think it's I think it's in Chrome. You guys start working with Storm Ferguson, who did right. the Pink Floyd covers, right? Right. How, yeah. Again, these these legends are like wanting a piece of you. I, I yeah, I know, and like you know, here we are, you know, twenty five years later or whatever, <laughs> still talking about it. And I know we we worked with some Creme de la Creme. You did um, again. Again, Storm approached us. And he ended up doing all our art, apart from ferment, he ended up doing all our artwork. And I remember the Chrome album, he called us and he said, uh, we didn't have, we had no idea what um, what he had in mind for the cover, but he, he said he wanted to us individually to do some shots and think about what we wanted to do. And so I, I go down and I, I, I don't know if you, on the, and the, these pictures were used for the inside of the cover, uh, or the inner sleeve. And I said to the Storm, I said, I, I don't want like my picture per se, but I want reflection like in water. Mm -hmm. And he turned to me. He said, "You're you're a genius," <laughs> because he had it. He it, it tied in with the whole chrome cover, yeah, the water, yeah. the, and uh, I thought. You, this genius is calling me a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh man. So I got to ask why the drastic change of direction in happy days, or at least it felt like one. Um, this is, I got to admit, I, I had loved those first two albums so much when I got happy days, I was a little disappointed. And not that I have a hard time, a problem with harder rock. There just weren't as many hooks or now I say that Judy's staring at the sun is one of the greatest alternative rock singles ever. I love that, but it's not indicative of everything else that's on that album. Smacked up again behind the door Begging, please give me some more I've been the toughened for the day Feel the pulse beneath the skin Um, was it a conscious decision now? And maybe I'm the only one who feels this way. Was it a conscious decision to go heavier? It wasn't conscious. I, I think it was a natural. I mean, Chrome is heavier than Ferment. It was, and it, yeah. So, uh, and, and I know Brian and Rob, they big 
Rush fans, Queen, and they, they were always into the, there was always a heavy, heavier rock side to them. Ha- happy, uh, yeah, Happy Days to me is maybe four songs too long, and it should have been a single album, and because there, there are a couple of, some couple of clangers on there. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, no, it wasn't a conscious decision, I, and I think just through playing live made us into a, a, a heavier sounding band. I think we and that, with Happy Days we wanted to try and get more of a live sound to it, and we had Deal again, and Deal was always up for, you know, lots of noise. Okay, <laughs> sure. Um, you know, Tanya Donnelly singing with Rob is just this match made in heaven on Judy. Where, right. How did that happen? And were there ever, I don't even know, were there ever discussions to do a little bit more of that? Well, I think that the belly thing happened with um, through Dill. Okay, you know, he, I figured. He, he'd, right, he'd, he'd done belly. And then we obviously got to tour with them. Did, do you mean to do more? more? Well, they just sound so, spe- they have this special quality, this Tammy Terrell, Marvin Gaye. I mean, you name all the great, you know, duet, male-female duet partners there. They sounded so good in this song. And I just thought, it's a strange, There's it's it's a shame there's only one song documenting this magic. And I wondered if there were ever any conversations about doing more of that kind of thing. Uh, if if there if there were, I'm unaware of, okay. of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, and Judy was a great song, and it was meant to meant to come out as a single, and then something happened, and it it didn't come out. Although they pressed some ten inch singles yeah. and stuff. Um, I heard it on the radio. I was in college it, at the time, so I would have heard it on the radio back then. Yeah, it was a great radio song. It sure was. Yeah, and, and it was always fun. When um, when she would sing it live with us, yeah, it's yeah. great. Um, now I've heard you mention that Adam and Eve is your favorite album, right? Why? Right. Well, I thought I think the songs are as a as an album. I think it really works. It just flows from start to finish, and the fact that we had um, Bob Ezrin um, work with us. <laughs> Let me guess. Like... Bob came to you and said, "Hey, I want to work with you." <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know how it happened, but. <laughs> um, Lou Reed Berlin is one of my favorite ever albums, and and Bob Ezrin was yeah on that. Uh, he yeah he just he he would just saunter. He, I mean Bob wasn't there on a day to day basis by any means. He he would just maybe saunter in the studio with this real attractive Spanish looking girlfriend <laughs> and sprint, sprinkle his sprinkle his magic uh-huh. and leave. Um, what, what does an executive producer do? Do they... They, they saunter in the studio with a glamorous <laughs> and looking girlfriend. And, <laughs> and uh, for them... <laughs> that's okay. <what> <laughs> okay. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. Yeah, he... No, he he, uh, he he would just come in and... And and he would, he would say, I can... I hear this. I I, I hear this, um, like, violin part or mm. string part. And, and then he would leave. And he would, you know, come back a few days later, and and he's got this fantastic string part, uh, and yeah. So, Darth Richardson, he he was the obviously the big producer on that one. Uh-huh. Uh, is an executive producer somebody who isn't responsible for being there day to day, but kind of shuffles in with his girlfriend and right. makes a you know suggestions, grand suggestions, I mean, and then I'd, leave? I'd never even heard of an executive. 
Um, but when you're Bob Ezrin, I think you can do whatever you want, right? Everyone. And yeah, yeah. That's great. Uh, wow. Uh, now, Delicious got a. I remember hearing Delicious a lot off that album as well. Were Catherine Wheel just sort of stay plateauing or staying the same in terms of like success or popularity during most of this time? Right, and I, I think you 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 use the word plateau, and I think that's what we were doing. That's how we were feeling. Really. Um, and I, well, because you wanted each, uh, and each album did sell better than the previous one until. And then I thought we were kind of disappointed that Adam and Eve wasn't more of a commercial success than, than it was. And we felt we were plateauing, I guess. And and, that, and I'm sure that had something to do with their decision to get rid of me. Hmm. I think they just felt something had to change. And and I mean, but you would have to ask them. I've, ne I've never talked to them about... Really? The decision they no we we i mean i didn't hear from anybody for like eight years oh. uh um i was living in the states and uh yeah after so after i'd gone to back to the uk to do the wishfield rehearsals and you kind of left saying well we'll call you when we're ready to to go in the studio and then uh that phone call never came mm. <laughs> And then our manager called me and he said, hey, you know, the, this is the decision. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we felt we felt we were kind of just treading water. Yeah. Were there signs leading up to not getting that call that made it so you weren't that surprised? Yeah, yeah, there were signs. I Like I said, when I made that comment about are we... Mm -hmm. Talk, talk. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah you, you felt it, you know, and we... We had a new record label, so we got dropped by Mercury, but we had signed to Sony. So I, th I think from Rob's perspective, he just wanted to make make a new break. Huh. And um, yeah, yeah. After ten, you know, we'd been together ten years, so I, the first five years for me were a, a fun, a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah. And then the last five years were not not so much. Is there a, you mentioned Adam and Eve being your favorite album. Is there a moment on that album that you're particularly proud of or remember fondly, whether it's 
a writing contribution or a solo or a lick or a lyric or something uh, that you love? Nothing. I mean, you mentioned like the drums on Future Boy. I I, lo- I remember recording that that song and uh, it was just so atmospheric. Yeah. Um. I. Yeah, I, I just think the whole album, it, it just flows really well. Um, there's nothing off the top of my head. Uh, okay. Stuff, but the whole, the whole, just the whole album is... Yeah. Uh, the Previous albums, I would say, well, you know, you, well, you can skip that track if you want uh-huh. to. But with, uh, with Adam and Eve, I, it, it just lends itself to be played in, in full. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite song on the album is Here Comes the Fact Controller. You mentioning not really having a favorite moment on this particular album. Is there a moment over the whole catalog when you think back and you're like, oh, there was a day, you know, where we were stuck for come up with an idea and I'm the one who thought of this little thing and it I've always been proud of that. I, I don't I wouldn't take credit by any means in, in the writing of the songs. That that was all that was always Robin Brian. But but there were times where they would come um, to rehearsals and with a skeleton of a song, and then me and Neil would we would obviously put our two pennies in and yeah. uh, no, I, well I, I remember in way down that we were stuck on the like middle eight bit on the bridge bit, mm-hmm. and I said I meant say hey let's you know try this and this chord progression. And that, that ended up playing in the song. Oh, so. good. Okay.
yeah, Rob and Brian, they 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 should take all the credit for the for the songs. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Um, yeah, I mean, in when you're rehe- when you're recording, and it's just me and the producer. Maybe it's you know whatever one o'clock in the morning, everybody gone to bed, and uh, there, there were time you know there, like some songs were were one take, and I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty good for one take. Yeah. Um, Fripp is one of my favorite. There you go. Songs, and and that that's a one take for me. <laughs> Named after Robert Fripp, I assume. Shark-shaped fin In the water of my dreams Alligator screams From the depths there I'd swim with you Yes, because when we were writing that song, Brian came up with this guitar part, I guess, and it was kind of we kind of well, that's a frippy part, mm. and but the guitar that it never stayed on the recording, but the um, the working title did. Mm-hmm. All, all our songs had pretty much had working titles, which and, and a lot of them just stuck. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. great. So what, what, you know, the, the game, the band, you know, unfortunately you're not invited to stick around. What do you do after that? Um, you know, Rob goes on to, he put out a solo album that I like a lot, um, called Fresh Water for the Horses, I think it is. And, um, the other two guys start their own band. What do you do? I don't play bass for about eight years. Really? (laughs) Is it because you're burnt out, you're devastated, you have other interests, no opportunity? Uh, what is it? I think uh, it was actually kind of a relief in initially um, because, the, like I said, the, the first five years were great. The last five years was kind of like treading water, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and I was living in the States. I was married at the time. So I, I kind of felt liberated to just you know wake up in the morning and do whatever i wanted to do uh, mm-hmm. we it, 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 being in Catherine, we and I, maybe other bands like it but it was a constant touring rehearsing mm-hmm. recording we we were always i was never at home really yeah, yeah. so it felt it felt good just to to be at home and yeah. uh, um yeah. So okay. okay. Yeah. What did you? How did you go about paying your bills? Did you have to go get a regular job? Did you? Uh, what well, did you do? I, I I actually started. So I I was a big record collector back in the days, uh-huh. and I actually started a eBay. Business. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, when it, when eBay was was profitable. Uh huh. Um, yeah, yeah, I, and actually, I, I still dabble in with eBay, but uh, yeah. So from like 1999 to maybe for 10 years, I, I that's what I was doing. Really? What yeah. are, what? Tell us some stories. What are some of the like highest, most profitable things that you? sold or interesting things that you can't because you know there's a lot of if anyone's listening to this podcast they are listening because they're a music fiend tell us some of your stories well i I, so i ended up selling my my beloved joy division collection which i Mm. kick myself for now but uh there was a couple of things like their first ep ideal for living that sold for 1200 um, then they, there was a French single, uh, the Sordid Sentimental single, that sold for some, I think, fifteen hundred. No way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I paid. I remember back in the day, I paid a hundred pounds for it. Um, but yeah, I sold it for something like fifteen hundred dollars. Um, there was, there was, and my ex-wife, she would um go to yard sales and whatever, and she came home one time with this um. Supreme's seven inch um, in a picture sleeve. Uh-huh. Paid twenty five cents for it, and we looked up uh, in the price guide, and it said six hundred dollars. <laughs> and in in the picture sleeve, and yeah. it was in really really good condition. I said, well, let's just put it on for a thousand. Yeah. And it sold the next day. No. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's like see that's that's like right. finding money in the street. You I know. know yeah, I mean, you know, that was a one-off, but yeah, uh, yeah it it can happen. That is great. I um, I I've, I've never collected vinyl because I don't trust myself to keep under control. I'm sure I would just spend every penny that my <laughs> wife and I have, and so right. I I've never bought a turntable for this reason. But I do still collect CDs, mm-hmm. and um, I do the, I do what you do, but on a much smaller scale. I like going to Goodwills or thrift stores and. Just right. finding stuff that either interests me or I know is worth more than the dollar fifty I'm paying for it or whatever. And sure. um, my a couple of years ago, I bought this. It was like a CD-ROM, and it was right after David Bowie died, and it was of him and Bing Crosby doing the Christmas mm-hmm. thing that they mm-hmm. do, Little Drummer Boy. And yeah. I think if I, I think it was, it was one of those things that back in the early days of the internet or of computers and all that kind of stuff, you would insert the CD, the disc into your disc drive and it had, you know, information on it that you would like download or that's how you watched it, you know, right. old, right. old, old technology that no one needs anymore. I bought that for a dollar and someone bought it off me for $50. And right. I just, I thought... You probably can't even pay it, play this thing anymore, but you wanted fifty bucks for it, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And I and I, I have to admit, I sold. I had a few uh, Chrome vinyl LPs sitting around, which I sold. Did you for, sign them? I think I did. I think you must uh, when I think, uh, I mean, I would never sell them as saying, "Hey, I'm Dave from Catwell." Yeah. I would just put them on and. And then it, and somebody bought them, I would sign it and put like a note saying, you know, I was the bass player, you know, some, yeah. you know, enjoy and whatever. But uh, yeah, the, the old, the old Catherine vinyls, they go for a lot of money. That's <laughs> wild. So um, 
so what now did i see somewhere are you a real estate agent or something like that no that's oh, no that's not no. i don't know where i saw that okay so you live in ohio what right. do you where and you're not married anymore what what do you do what's a day in the life of dave hawes okay so i, I actually became a citizen a month ago oh i, I live in this little town called ashtabula huh and where I, is that are you close to cleveland or cincinnati we're, or we're 50 miles east of cleveland okay um right right on the lake okay lake um and i so i live here with my girlfriend of eight eight years nine years well fiance i, I guess and okay. we, just we just haven't gotten around to getting married but uh-huh uh, so i what i do now is um I work for a merchandising company, and uh, um, so, and what we do is we go into all various stores like Targets. We we look after the DVDs in mm. in all Targets. Uh, we go. We we're in Walgreens, Rite Aids, right. Walmart's, and so, and it's my job to go into these particular stores and make sure things should be where they're meant to be. Yeah, or, and does that. I, and I've been doing this since um, eBay kind of kind of took a downturn about mm -hmm. ten years ago, and um, I I never knew all this work existed. You know, I, you go into yep. a store, you just assume all these you know the store employees do these right. work, but that's not the case. So so yeah, so I, I that's what I do. Okay, yeah, I've heard of those jobs before. Um, do you ever play music or write music or play out or do anything? Yeah, so I, I play for a couple of years now. We've been, I I was um, approached by a, a mutual friend. Um, did I want to start a, like a, a 90s tribute band? Mm. So I'm in a band called Flannel Planet. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right. And we play all, we play all 90s. Uh, songs. Great. So, yeah, we we play. Um, yeah, probably. Oh, gosh, maybe four or five times a month. Okay. Is Black Metallic on the set list? We we do not do any Captain Will. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta fit Black Metallic in there somewhere. Maybe maybe one day we'll. But um, no, we we we. And and I I really don't push that. Yeah. You know, I don't push the cat and I don't play the cat and wheel card. I I guess, <laughs> um, but you know, you have to remember twenty five. This cat and wheel was twenty five years ago now, and yeah. um, uh, Cle Cleveland was not was never a huge market anyway. Okay. So okay, <laughs> wow. So tell me what your favorite albums of all time are. I've seen them listed on other articles and other interviews you've done. You seem like you're the. I'm like you. I have that list. Kind of always at the ready you know or i'm always constantly thinking about it or working on it or whatever what are the ones that are on your list well joy division my hands down favorite band so unknown pleasures and closer um but i i was you know that they came out in 79 80 so post-punk um but i i was i was born in 63 so when punk started in england it was i was what 13 14 so I, I was big into the Sets Pistols, Never Mind the Bollocks is mm -hmm. fantastic. The Damned, uh, Black Album. Um, 
so a lot of punk post-punk yeah. influence but uh how to love their first album is yes. top, top 10 for me yeah uh stone roses first album uh lou reed berlin um velvet underground any of their albums uh-huh. i love uh leonard cohen big leonard cohen oh, fan. okay uh, there's uh, Mary Margaret O'Hara. She did this one album, which I think is fantastic. Oh, I don't know uh, her. Miss uh, came out in '89. It's called Miss America. Okay. Uh, I she she's just amazing. She's very very low profile, um, uh, but uh, yeah. So so most of my albums are pretty dark and yeah, I can tell. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, I love a lot of that yeah. same stuff. Yeah. I think on one of the lists I saw, did you include Human League's Dare? Oh, right. Yeah. I, I lo- so I, I'm always a big Human League fan. And I remember I bought before, way, way, way before Cathamwell, I bought a, a Roland SH-101 synth- synthesizer because I wanted to be <laughs> in a band like the Human League. Because uh-huh. um, I, I loved their first couple of albums, Travelogue and... Reproduction? Reprodu- yeah. Like those? Yeah, love them. Huh. Um, and then they come out with, you know, this perfect pop album. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't you want me? Um, all those. It's so I, I kind of threw that in just so to let people know I'm not a complete <laughs> miserable bastard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, just this morning, a couple hours ago, I interviewed uh, Ian Burden from Human League. And, oh wow! Yeah, he's he he's been on the show before, thankfully, and um, but we've been inviting, and you might get a call about this eventually, Dave. We've we've been inviting prior guests back on the show to do a deep dive of an album they worked on, you know, track by track, the stories behind it all, everything like that. So he and I deep dived Dare this morning. Oh wow! Yeah, it was kind of fun. So when I yeah. saw that on your list, I thought, well, what are the what are the chances, you know? And um, in Heaven 17, uh, yeah. Heaven is another great album. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so I, you know, all my friends were... Oh, and, and I, I should also include the specials first album. Oh, uh, one of my special, favorites ever, too. Yes. Uh, they were the first band I ever saw. Uh, really? 19, 1979, they were supported by the Go-Go's, who, who I loved as well. They had their, uh-huh. their first thing out, and the the go-go's got bottled off after three songs oh no and this is when bottles were bottles yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah. it was a big punk skinhead crowd and uh i guess yeah i guess the go-go's yeah the go-go's were gone gone boy the the punks <laughs> even threw bottles at cute girls yes wow Yes, they just did not yeah. care, they, did they? So after the Go Go's, there was another. There was another two tone band called the Body Snatchers. Oh, sure. Who went down a lot, lot better, and then okay. uh, specials. But so yeah, um, yeah. I, I should. In, I want to include the specials. Uh, first album is one of my favorites. Me too. That uh, uh, that album was a big. That was a game changer for me too, as a little right. kid discovering that I had Neville Staple on here last year sometime we talked yeah. about that yeah it's great right yeah. uh, produced by elvis Costello. sure was yeah it's a classic yeah well good uh okay i gotta i want to ask a couple of questions that i ask pretty much everybody 
number one, I want to know if you have any regrets. If there's anything that a decision you made that you wish you could take back or it altered some things in a way, maybe it's causing a regret that you still live with. Do you have any regrets regarding your music career in Catherine Wheel? Uh, I, I do not. I Good. I, no, je ne, re, je ne regret. Good. Mm, what's the, I'm, trying, I'm trying to do the French um, <laughs> phrase, but <laughs> it was great right now. Okay, good. No regrets. Now, no. tell me your favorite memory. When you're, you know, hitting Walgreens, you're making all, sure all the DVDs are in place and everything looking good in the end rack, <laughs> and you're you get back in the car and you're like, man, I was a rock star for a while, and the coolest thing happened to me. What is it? Oh, uh, I would have to say, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of probably moments, but the one moment that kind of stands out is, uh, so we we toured with In Excess. Oh, so good. Um, I got certain, I was n never really an In Excess fan. I didn't have any of their records, or but they were always one band that you kind of, I always, you know, appreciated and- sure. But by the time we we'd finished touring with them, I was complete. You know, I I, I love that band. They were, yeah. they were real people, great people. But I we got I got particularly close with um, Michael and Helena. Helena, well, uh -huh. Helena Christensen, who he was dating at the time, and she, I don't know. She took a shine to me, and uh, we got on really well. And I remember we we because we would stay at different hotels. Obviously, they they. Uh -huh. They stayed at the posh ones, and uh -huh. uh, but we we would uh, one time uh, they said, "Hey, come back to the bar in our hotel," and so we we did, and we're just sitting there, and I needed to the, the, find the restroom, and so I go. It's a big big hotel. wasn't sure where I was going. I, anyway, I eventually found it, and uh, so there I am in the middle of taking a, a pee, and Michael comes in, taps me on the shoulder, he said, he said, Helena was worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> so, <sighs> and, uh, so, you know, that's just one thing. And then I remember going home after that tour and I, uh, I think I was, I, I gave Helena my, we swapped addresses and phone numbers, whatever, obviously way before cell phones. Yeah. And uh, I remember walking in one day, and my mom said, "You had a phone call from from Hel and her Helena." <laughs> she my mom just spoke to Helena Christensen, and she called me. <laughs> my wow! <laughs> wow! Did you ever yeah. call her back? I, I didn't. No. What no. What were you doing? <laughs> what better did you have I, to do, Dave, have than to, call Helena Christensen? I, I have. I still to this day have this personal letter from her, and uh, I had uh, two Christmas cards from her and Michael. Oh um, my gosh! So, yeah, so that that was that's like that's one of the best stories I've heard <laughs> from asking people this question. That is great, great, great. Okay. Right. Uh, well, good, Dave. Uh, you know, if you can't tell, I loved Catherine Wheel back okay. in the day. Such a great band, and I'm so oh, grateful let... for all the good stuff you put out in the world. There you have it, David Haas. That band is so good. If you're new to them, then let me tell you, start at the beginning. Ferment, like I said, one of the top 30, 40 favorite albums of mine of all time. Uh, the second album, Chrome, is almost as good. I want to close it out with another song from that album. This is Show Me Mary 
so, so good. If you were into bands like Ride, Jesus and Mary Chain, My Bloody Valentine, obviously, Lush, those kinds of bands that were around at that time, you would love Catherine Wheel. They're so, so good. They, anyway, thank you, David, for talking with me. Now, next week, we have kind of an interesting guest next week. He was a member of a very prominent indie alternative band from the mid-80s that were around through like the mid-90s. You would know a couple of their songs probably. Um, and then he went on to be, well, he's a Beatles expert. And if you know who I'm talking about, I just gave it all away. But if you don't, next week's in conversation is really interesting because we talk for a while about his band and what that was like. And then we talk about the Beatles for another 45 minutes or something like that. So it's a really fun conversation if you're into that kind of thing. A lot of interesting Beatles trivia in this one. Now, as always, a huge thanks to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Makevich. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. You guys know how to find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. Or you can find us uh, on Twitter, at The Hustle Pod. Or you can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. And we will be back next Tuesday with another episode. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Somebody's house